Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the funniest, fastest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all of the top news in retail, and also the podcast with the best alliteration. Often imitated, but never duplicated, because we have been reiterating our consonants since before we were born. It is September 16th, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Anne Mazinga. And we are joined by two, I think, Anne, two of our favorite guests on OmniTalk. Two people who are close to joining the Five Timers Club, which, quite frankly, no one has gotten there to, but everyone aspires to. But these guys, if I had to put my money on someone, are going to be the first ones to get there. And that is AM's very own Kristen Kohler Burroughs and David Ritter. Kristen, David, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thank you again for having us. And I, and I really want to know if we get something when we hit five. Like, we get asked that all the time. Somebody asked us that last week. We're thinking, you know, maybe uh, we got to figure it out. On. Yeah. We, we've got to figure something out. Um, I'm thinking a jacket with a crest. I think you know? it's a hoodie. A hoodie? With a hoodie? The that would work. Crest. That yeah. would work. Yeah. You've got to pick a color like green for the Masters. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Or orange, bright orange jackets with crests. <laughs> that would be totally a signature of our show. But hey, if you'll notice actually my wardrobe for those watching, I'm a little muted today. And because that is, that is the reason for that is I'm about to get serious, Ann, because we have grocery shop coming up next oh, week. Yes, we and I'm do. about as serious as a heart attack for that show because we have not traveled together in like a year and a half. I know. It's going to be an adventure, Chris. Uh, I'll, I, yes. Even getting used to working together again uh, in the same space has been an adjustment. So the travel together, that's really going to be the true test of, of OmniTalk. It for sure is. But you're going to be on stage twice. You're going to be on stage yep. Sunday and Wednesday, bookending the show with yeah. OmniTalk, which is huge. Yeah, we have some really great um, panels. We're, the first one on Sunday is uh, in-store technology. And so we'll be discussing what we think the highlight uh, technologies are for grocery street paying attention to. And then Wednesday will be really fun. Uh, we're going to be doing a recap of the show with Corsite and with the grocery shop team. So that I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And special thanks to our sponsors for all of our grocery shop content that's going to yes. be coming your way. We're going to have podcasts coming your way each and every day of the show next yes. week. Special thanks to Untie Knots and Cleveron for making that possible for us. But David, Kristen, we are ready to put you guys on the spot like you have never seen before. You guys put us on the spot every week. And that question you threw me my first week back after my stroke, I'm still reeling from that question. So I am guaranteed going to get you guys back for that today. And so in today's Fast Five, we're going to discuss Casper clearing out the C-suite in its organization, Peloton's own brand apparel play, Thrasio's largest acquisitions to date, Beauty Pie's latest $100 million mm -hmm. funding raise, but first, we take off with Amazon hiking wages and paying college tuition for its employees. That's right. This week, in its push to hire 125,000, God, that number is astounding, fulfillment and transportation employees, according to Retail Dive, Amazon has raised its average hourly starting rate to over $18. And in addition, starting in January 2022, according to Chain Storage, Amazon will also begin funding full college tuition as part of its $1.25 billion effort by 2025 to expand educational opportunities for its employees. One note specifically on that program called the Career Choice Program is that all tuition and fees are paid in advance too, so employees do not have to submit for reimbursement, as is a popular approach with some of Amazon's competitors. So David, are you ready? Let's do it. David, pressure on wages and employee benefits overall appear to be ramping up. How are you advising clients to approach and solve this issue? Many of our clients are, are thinking about this topic uh, top of mind. Uh, you've seen Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, 
all raise minimum wages. Um, but I think if we step back, it's really the uh, the easiest answer and, and potentially a lazy response. Really? Um, I think that the, the playbook that many retailers are using is outdated. You know, Gen Z and millennials now make up more than 50% of the workforce. And they think about a lot more than just compensation. So I think you know, our, uh, our, uh, our clients are thinking about a, a full kind of employee value proposition. So starting with mission and purpose and, and what does the, the company stand for? Thinking about things like scheduling, flexibility, training and development. And then obviously compensation and benefits matter, um, but they are just one piece of a bigger pie. Uh, and, and it's proven that that, uh, that piece alone is not moving the needle in terms of hiring. And it's going to just get worse with seasonal hiring ramping up. Mm-hmm. Right, Dave, that's an interesting point. Like the question I have is, is there still a threshold that you think people need to be thinking about? Like, you know, is there, are we still going to see the average rate wage rate continue to move up and up just as like the barrier to entry? Like your point about it's not really moving the needle seems definitely appropriate given what we're seeing in the marketplace. But, but that's been my thing is like, even though there may be better approaches to it, do we have to still assume that it's going to be creeping up and that the retailers, you know, have to figure out some way to invest in new technologies or new ways of doing things to be able to accommodate that over time. Yeah, I think we can we can broadly assume that minimum wage wages will continue to go up. I do think that uh, it's a market level kind of uh, decision, right? So fifteen dollars across the board uh, right. doesn't make as much sense. It should be tailored to a market level. Um, but I do mm. think we'll see wages continue to rise and and pressure on automation and technology to to fill that gap to keep the P and L shape appropriately. And what's your take on this story? You know, I think like much like David's saying, I mean, these are necessary incentives that Amazon, just because they're Amazon doesn't mean they're not fighting to find people to fill these roles too. Everybody's struggling for employees right now. And so I think it's necessary for them to increase wages and to offer this tuition assistance in order to start, you know, to keep taking those people that they started to get away from the service industries during the pandemic. I mean, going to work at Amazon and where they're hiring in a fulfillment or transportation environment. I just heard an article this morning about women truck drivers who are driving for Amazon, who can make, you know, twice the amount of money driving a truck of Amazon product across the country for one week than they can working a 40 hour a week job. So I think Amazon is not immune to this. Plus they have, you know, AWS and other um, revenue sources that are able to help make this easy adjustment, like David's saying for their their employees. Yeah. That was the part for me when reading this story too, is just, you know, just it's just another example of something Amazon has a right to win in based on its business model with yep. AWS and the prime subsidy that we as consumers are giving them. So even if it's the lazy approach, it probably is in, in the long run, right? A really effective approach because they can just keep pushing that bar higher and higher on what those expectations are. And Amazon, Amazon, like it or not, is pretty good at understanding what its customers want. And I'd say on whole, some people might disagree with this, but on the whole, even understanding what its employees want day in and day out. Kristen, you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think it's really important, as Dave was saying, to understand, you know, what's important to your workforce. And so given that, how are you going to solve this problem? And it goes broader than right. you know, wage increases. Um, being a little, little cynical, specifically on this point, you know, how much of this is really big PR versus reality? Because I believe that anything over, what, 5,200, you actually have to tax. So are employees going to be taxed if they're reimbursed for this tuition? And are they really getting sort of, you know, what, 
full scale tuition reimbursement? Like how deep is this going? Or is it more similar to what Google's already doing, which they're getting accredited for certain, you know, training classes? That's a great point. And then the one thing I never see is like how many people, I never even see reports of how many people actually use this either. There's always the anecdotal one-offs of this person in, you know, Florida used this and we talked to them, but you never see anything really in mass around the statistics of usage around this too. Yeah. Well, there are going to be a few more people looking for jobs after this next headline. <laughs> uh, Casper <laughs> announced this week that they're laying off their CMO, CTO, and COO, according to TechCrunch, the round of layoffs that was communicated to employees on Friday largely impacted their retail and operations teams, signaling that the business may be undergoing a broader restructuring. Um, the laid off employees, uh, I think it was dozens of employees outside of the C-suite uh, were offered severance packages. And um, all of those executives who were let go were recent, fairly recent additions to the team. So it's a lot of C's, Ann. It's a lot of that's C's. a lot of C's at one time to get laid off. I don't think I've ever seen that before, actually. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm. I'm. A, I was a little surprised. It was like they they keep just keep coming. It's not like CEO, right? It's CEO, CEO. Right. Where's the buck stop C- yeah. on that one, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, think about it. Yeah. Well, Kristen, we're going to go to you first on this question. We are wondering. If this round of layoffs at Casper is a canary in a coal mine that may signal more rough roads ahead for D2C brands, uh, or is this an isolated incident that you think is specific to Casper? So I'm going to start with a little pet peeve of mine. Okay, Uh, sweet. We love pet peeves. Is it us? It's like our favorite. Absolutely not you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Although maybe if I got a green master's jacket for number five, Mm. that... Okay. Okay. Noted, Kristen. Noted. Noted. Thank you. Um, but my pet peeve is why are we sticking with this language of DTC and retailers? Yeah. It's all commerce these right. days. Totally. And most every commerce player is in at least two of three channels, right? So let's just mm-hmm. get that on the table. It's a great um, point. Yeah. Um, I think second, you know, every business has to show a path to profitability, um, regardless of where they play in the commerce sector. And I think, you know, when you look at Casper specifically, it's very hard to scale quickly when you're basically selling one product category mm-hmm. to a ton of people. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to sell one product category to a ton of people who aren't going to really repeat purchase, mm-hmm. that's going to be a very high customer acquisition cost. Right. And we all know that Facebook, the cost of customer acquisition on Facebook and Google keeps going up. So I think that's one of their core fundamental challenges is, you know, what else, how else can they shift their model to actually sell more product to their existing customers versus really relying on constant new customer acquisition? Um, and so I think you're seeing that with, with a lot of these newer commerce players in the market who are, are single category focused versus multiple category focused. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I think it's definitely an indictment on Casper, number one, because if you think about it, like you said, they got over their skis on who they were a little bit, right? They're they're a mattress company. And by the way, I've said this before on the show many, many years ago, even they're selling a mattress in a box that's been around for a long, long time. Like the whole concept's been around forever. It's just, they were the first ones to brand it and make it cool. And then they got ahead of themselves, in my opinion, like going into stores, but if you think about that from a consumer journey perspective, that actually makes things a lot more difficult for consumers. If you have to go to another store to look at a mattress where your other options are all on display at another place where you right. can sit on them and try them out. So that's kind of disjointed. And so, you know, what it, I think your point about what is DTC is dead on because it's really about if you're a DTC brand, 
by its norm, normal way that we describe it, you're either a, a retailer or you're actually a brand. And I think what Casper forgot here, and I'm curious, Christian, your take on this, is it feels like they forgot that they're actually a brand in that discussion. And they probably needed to look more at the wholesale route than just going yeah. and starting to build stores up and trying to get ahead of themselves operationally. You agree with that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And so do you see, do you think, would you predict we're going to see now back to the question? Do you think we're going to, would you predict that we're going to see more of this happening or, or less, or is this just isolated to them? I think you're going to see more of it happening. If to your point, um, a, the product isn't truly differentiated and you're not offering the customer a clear value proposition. And then B, they're not recognizing that you're to develop, to drive growth. Um, and less expensive growth, you're going to have to look at alternative forms of distribution. Right. That you have to have a smart channel strategy instead of just assuming you can become like the next best thing in retail. And what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you both hit on it. One is customer acquisition costs. I think mattresses are still something that the mainstream audience is still like, likes to go and see it and push it and feel it. And, and they're not comfortable with shipping a mattress back if they unravel it and it doesn't get, you know, they can't get it back in the box. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, it's, it's following the wholesale partnerships. I think they're, they're, they stand to do much better going, continuing with Costco or with Target, where people are in the space already. They're going there. They want one more option of a mattress versus the Kirkland Signature or the, you know, the Target own brand mattress. They want to have those opportunities. And so I think, yeah. If they want that mat- type of mattress at all. If they want right? that type of mattress at all. So I think sticking to some of their wholesale opportunities is where um, it seems like they're following anyway. They're cutting retail and operations people. So that would be my assumption is that they're focusing more on those. Yeah, even as you're talking, it makes me wonder if it's just, it's just a this was just a brand story from the get-go and maybe the brand's just losing its appeal now because there's so many people doing it alongside of them and just even the value of the traditional box spring mattress. Dave, what do you think? I mean, for me, this comes back to the full DTC model. I mean, Warby mm-hmm. Parker's IPO seems to have kind of started a lot of this noise. Yeah, it really has, huh? And they're, uh, they're just their, their poor profit situation. And I, I think in many cases, the, the economics of the DTC players were kind of veiled because they hadn't gone public yet. So I, I do think it, it is a uh, it's a profit question, similar to what Kristen mentioned. Uh, I think we can expect much more physical distribution, though, just given that the customer acquisition cost is lower in that environment. Um, it's going to have to start looking more like traditional retail, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, traditional omnichannel retail to get the P&L shaped in a profitable way. Right, right. Which goes back to it. Like business models exist for a reason. We talk about this on the show. There's the reason the infrastructure exists, the distribution channels exist the way they have for not just decades, but centuries. All right, let's keep moving on. So this week, the self-proclaimed world's largest acquirer of Amazon brands. I love that self-proclamation. Thrasio just announced its three largest acquisitions ever, totaling over $100 million. The acquisitions included companies like SafeRest in the mattress protector space. One of my favorite things to my procure. My favorite mattress protector. Yeah, right. I couldn't name a mattress protector <laughs> brand if you put a gun to my head. Wise Owl Outfitters. I like the alliteration there, as we always do on OmniTalk, which specializes in camping equipment. And Dan Jure Linens, who specializes in home bedding. <laughs> Woo. All right. We're going out on a limb there. And they paid $100 million for those three brands. And quote, according to their co-founder and CEO, we're building a consumer goods company that is rooted in customer feedback and established quality. We take beloved products, invest the resources to solidify their category leadership on Amazon, and then we increase their sales footprint through international expansion and other channels. 
When a brand comes into our portfolio, it gains immediate value from our proven, proven flywheel to grow stronger and reach even more happy customers. End quote. All right, David. There's a lot of lot of heat in this space right now. The Amazon roll-ups. It's nuts. Like we're getting, we're having people come to us. We met another company in the space. We're trying to piece it all together and make sense of it. What do you make of the Amazon roll-up companies? And how would you advise your CPG clients specifically? Because it seems like many of these are coming for their lunch. So yeah, I think this story is big news. Um, first, I think we're advising all CPGs and retailers that you've got to be where the customer wants to be. And that means that the marketplaces are going to be more and more important going forward. Um, specifically, Amazon, obviously, in the U.S. is, is, the, is kind of the king. Um, and, and these companies do have a skill, right? Selling on Amazon and other marketplaces takes a, you know, a precise skill set and is learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the notion that, that you're going to compete against these firms that have deep expertise um, is tough. So I think, I think CPG companies are going to have to really start ramping up their teams uh, and hiring expertise in terms of how to get their products properly you know, placed distributed, et cetera, on these marketplaces, because it's going to be a a meaningful channel going forward. Um, In some ways, maybe the most important channel going forward, just given that that's where the customer wants to shop. So David, let me ask you a follow-up question to that. So do you think one of these companies will will ultimately become like the next Clorox or P&G, you know, five, 10 years down the road that after they've rolled up these companies, acquired these brands, that they'll be positioning themselves in that manner at that same level of stature, so to speak? So I actually think of them more as a private equity shop, uh, okay. you know, that, that okay. can leverage skills across the back. So I actually mm-hmm. think they'll be more like a house of brands that then sells off or IPOs the brands individually once they get them up to scale. I think that's a more likely uh, course of action than, than more in the traditional CPG format, if you will. Got it. Uh, that's great perspective. And what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is just a, it seems like a total land grab. I mean, we've been getting emails from people, especially this week with this announcement of just how big these companies are getting. And, you know, it seems like from what we're hearing that it does just take one of these brands. Like they're buying up 10, you know, how many, two to three brands a week, some of them, and closing these deals. And it's like, it seems like a typical VC play where it's like, you just need one of the companies in your portfolio to hit a certain number. And with all of the resources that you're amassing by bringing in all these companies under your umbrella, you would think that that should be possible. There's definitely some money to be made here. Yeah. I mean, I can see the idea somewhat. I think what both you guys are hitting on, especially Dave on the private equity side, I mean, I think it makes sense. Like you're that from what we're hearing, you're buying these companies at three to four times EBITDA, you're rolling them up and suddenly the valuation of the roll up goes to like 20 times, mm-hmm. which just, you know, inherently makes a lot of sense. The question I have though is, and it seems like they're preying on people that are entrepreneurs who've had success and they just want out of the business, right? They just want it. They want that quick exit. They're tired of, they're tired of working the business. But the question I have is like, how does the ethos of those brands remain after they get purchased, after the, you know, the earnout periods are over with the founders from whom they're acquiring them, you know, and can the house of cards continue to stand up in the long run when everything that it took to build those brands, you know, potentially could fall away. So I don't know, Kristen, if you have any thoughts on that, but curious your take here too. Yeah. I mean, my question is, you know, I mean, at first, I, I, I love the fact that Clearly, Thrasio's, you know, key value out here is they know how to build Amazon businesses, mm-hmm. right? Like, but what's the end game? Is the end game to continue to drive the Amazon portion of that as big as possible? Or is the end game to sort of 
develop kind of an annuity business there while building out more of their direct to consumer, owning the customer data, owning that relationship directly. And that will drive more value for the brand. So, you know, what do you, what, what do you guys think? What is the, what, what is the end game? Yeah. Dave, what do you think? So for me, I, I think we have to kind of turn the traditional models on its head. Yeah, I think uh, CPG companies have to get more comfortable not having that direct relationship. I think there's plenty of money to be made across Amazon and then international marketplaces. I mean, if you can take a great brand in the U.S. and, yeah. and, and put, you know, take it to Asia, uh, there's plenty of, uh, of upside there um, without, you know, going into DTC or, or, or some other uh, some other business model. I think a, a marketplace based model. Um, there's still a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. And the other part of that, which you said to both of you is I think the thing that is important about the Amazon as the starting point is that the people that are selling real, really well on Amazon have been through the ropes competitively. Like, you know, if you're selling well there and you've got good reviews and these people know how to find them and they can take them to your point and scale them up better, both in the US and internationally than how they're doing it on their own based on all their experience, there probably is a lot of gold to be mined, you know, with that type of approach. So all right, let's keep on moving. So the only challenge there is your margins are not going to be as great on Amazon, right? So what what are, what's the where is that trade off and tipping point? Yeah, right. I'm assuming they're vetting that out ahead of time, right? Is as they try to figure it out, and then it's about expansion. But yeah, I don't know. So that's a good point. All right, we're going to go to headline number four. So Peloton has announced the launch of a private label clothing brand called what else but Peloton Apparel? Very creative. Is that re- that's really what it's called? Yes. Peloton Apparel. Wow. It will be men's, women's, and gender-neutral styles ranging in price from $15 to $118 and will be available online in select Peloton showrooms and via the company's Facebook and Instagram accounts. Um, Peloton, we will note, has been selling clothes for years, but this is the first time that they're going into apparel without a collaboration with other brands. Oh, So, David, we're going to put you on the spot here. Um, we know that AM works with a lot of, of people in the athleisure and footwear space. Um, what would you be advising Peloton as they approach their own launch into private label? Great question. So I, first, I love the idea. I think this is a no-brainer for Peloton. You do? Okay. I, I think, you know, just given their brand strength, especially in kind of the athletic space, uh, it, it's a natural evolution. Um, that said, I think there is, uh, I, I would advise them to start simply. So I really liked the kind of going into basics in core colors uh, to get the operations right. Um, you can you can try to grow too fast here and get over your skis and, and under deliver on your brand promise. Um, and I think that the second thing I just would advise them on is, listen, you could probably try to brand everything Peloton. Um, but the further you get from the core, the more you risk kind of your brand and the way that they really make money is is through bikes and, and memberships. And I think it's important that they don't get so far away that, that it impairs their core business and it makes uh, riding a Peloton or being part of a Peloton community less cool um, mm. or, or seem real commercial. Because right now it's, you know, it's kind of grassrootsy. You're, you're on with your friends. Um, there's always the risk of, of becoming too commercial and, and losing that kind of community aspect. Yeah. And you fought against this story. Why? I hate this story. Why? Why? I'm totally with Dave. Because, well, number one, here's my thing. I know that you have 
fiercely believed for a long time that Peloton could be the new I Nike. Have. Yeah. But take it fire. I'm taking heat on that one. I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm I'm a little worried about that claim. But yeah. Let's look at the price points for what they're putting out there. $118. I'm not paying $118 for Nike leggings. I'm certainly not paying $118 for Peloton leggings. Like I, I think how, you the quality how much are leggings at Lululemon just as a point of comparison. Uh, $98. $98. Yeah. Well depends. 98 to 120. Okay, so they're starting at 118. Okay. So, Smart strategy. Okay. Sure. It, it, it it's, a, it's a strategy. Okay, fine. The quality has got to be there. And okay. I don't think that Peloton has the experience. I think like Dave said, they should stay in their lane. Hmm. They should focus on increasing memberships wow. and areas where they are, are struggling right now. They are struggling with the membership component right now. So that's where I would be putting my focus, not on trying to come up with hmm. another apparel line. I thought it was much smarter to be partnering with well-established brands like Adidas hmm. and other brands, um, even Lululemon to, to do Oh, this. Dave, Dave, Dave wanted to jump back Dave's in like, all right what? i want to get kristen's take on this too but dave go well no so i would just say and that i think it's easier for peloton to expand into apparel than for lululemon to acquire the mirror and to expand that direction like this is a more natural brand evolution for me um than than vice versa so i, I like it i actually think it, it makes a lot of sense so kristen where do you come down are you on ann's camp or are you on uh david and my camp too which i haven't really explained yet but where, where are you coming down you know, I hate to say that I'm sort of a camp in the middle, but I'm going to explain my, oh, camp in my the middle, middle huh? camp. You're Switzerland. I'm, You're Swiss well, camp. I'm Switzerland with an opinion. Okay. Um, so I believe that they should do this, right? I think that, look, they've built a great community. People want to wear the Peloton. People want other people to know that they're a member of the Peloton group, right? So I think as an affinity, affinity product, perfect. But to Anne's point, I think what you really have to figure out is where are you going to be in that good, better, best mm-hmm. sort of ladder? And although they're the best and premium in bikes, um, to me, they should really be in good or better on product because I, I don't really care if my leggings are the most perfect legging. I just want to pee on them for everybody to see, right? So, you know, and I think really, as Dave said, like talk about, start with five or six silhouettes. Like to me, the best, the more popular silhouette's going to be like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a hoodie or something that it's easy to have the branding on and for everybody to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the point, the point I would make here though, too, is like the price points right now are just right now. And in merchandising, you have a lot of time to bring that down and have that calibrate too. Right. Christian, as you know, from your experience too, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I feel like this is a no-brainer. I, and I'm gonna give you the last word here, but this feels like a no-brainer to me. I can't understand. I can't understand why it's taking so long. I mean, my sources tell me that the Adidas collaboration like sold out, like it was fantastic. Because it was with Adidas. And that was, but that was like great. And it was co-designed but hold, hold, by the. But hold on. Okay. Hold on. It wasn't great product. You you look at that product. And we talked about this on the show, I think. You look at that product and it was grade C product. Like it wasn't even good. It wasn't even, and, and it sold out because people are rabid about this brand. I think you have to look at timing and you have to look at scenario. That was height of the pandemic, co-created with the instructors. This is just putting out like stamp on stamp on stamp on stamp of Peloton leggings with no differentiation point. Look at SoulCycle. They did this too. How's SoulCycle doing? Do you see people walking around with SoulCycle from five years uh, ago? No. What SoulCycle doesn't have the fervent. I don't think it doesn't have, first of all, it doesn't have the coverage. Definitely doesn't have the coverage. And it doesn't have the built-in like just fervor of everyone riding their bikes at home together as a community in the same Which is in a steep decline right now. Mind you. Uh, 
I, I don't know that they had it. They had a rough spot because of the treadmills. They've had some financial decline because of that, but I don't know. We'll see. All right. So headline number five, beauty pie, a buyer's club for high end beauty and wellness products raised $100 million in funding this past week. Think of it. Beauty pie as quote unquote, Sephora meets Costco, according to founder, Marsha Kilgore. Any here's how it works. Any consumer in the UK or the United States can buy direct or join the buying club either for a month at roughly $15 per month or for a year for $59 a year to get deep discounts. The company plans to use the funding to, of course, build more warehouses, explore pop-ups, and move into new territory. Sounds something sounds very similar to the conversation we we're having around Casper previously in a lot of ways. So question to you, Kristen, buyers clubs, fad or trend here to stay? Well, can we first, let's just define kind of what's a club versus yeah. a subscription model versus a subscribe and save. Great so. Question. Like the club model to me, correct me if I'm wrong. So you pay, you, you pay $15 a month. So from a financial perspective, great annuity business for them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to buy product then at a discount because I am a member. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm somehow, if you do the numbers, making that $15 back based on the discount, right? Then you have this, and, but I have to buy something to actually receive any benefit. The subscription right. club, you're paying every month or whatever, and you're automatically getting something for that cost. Like I'm a HelloFresh and Blue Apron. Yes, right. I do both because I do not know how to make anything. So I have both of them. <laughs> then really? the subscribe and save, like I have all of my, you know, beauty products, my vitamins, all of the subscribe and save because I know I'm going to buy them every month and I get a discount off of them. So I guess when I, if, if I have that definition correct, my question around club is, is it, is it, is the success of it dependent on, I want to experiment and buy different things that I normally wouldn't buy every month so that that $15 is actually above and beyond like what I would want for my subscribe and save or a Mm -hmm. subscription model. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting point. That designation is really that's a really good thing to call out too, and to keep in mind. I hadn't thought about that necessarily because I think you you kind of you kind of tend to lump them in together psychologically when these things come up. Yeah. But but yeah. But what's your take? What's your take on this idea specifically? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think we're going to see more of this type of thing? Because this is this seems more like the club idea to you know to your to your description, right? Where and it it feels like we're starting to see this a little bit more and more each and every week. Well, I mean, I think Fabletics really was the first club model, Mm -hmm. right? So you pay a, you pay a fee to Fabletics and every month you get a, and they're actually, I think their monthly fee is actually $50. Yeah. And with that, you get a discount off of athleisure product Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can decide not to pay per month, right? You have the ability to manage that. But to me, like that only works is if I really want, obviously five, six items, whatever a month. Um, And in beauty, my question is beyond sort of my core beauty products that I probably, maybe not, I probably could get at a better rate through a subscribe and save. what am I going to buy on top of that that's going to be worth that extra $15? So you're saying to, for this to work, there has to almost be like a, like an enticement or a hook that I'm going to get great stuff that I wouldn't Normally, routinely yeah. buy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's yeah. an interesting point. Dan, Ann, what do you think? 
Uh, I think you take one look at the numbers that Costco has been putting up in their beauty department since they started these exclusive partnerships. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a report right. in Glossy that just came out and Costco is saying that that's one of the biggest areas of growth that they've seen inside the Costco is doing these these di- severe discounts. I mean, we're not talking right. like we're talking like $60 beauty creams that are $40 at Costco. I mean, right. it's a significant saving. So I think. I love this idea. I love beauty pie as a concept, because if you look at beauty as a frequency purchase, like most people who use beauty products um, and and even now, as we continue to get into men's health and wellness products, the increased uses there, they are going to be repeat buying these purchases. So I think, you know, I, I'd elect for the $60 a year membership. I think that makes a lot more sense, but um, I think that this is going to continue to be a category where a significant savings like this will get a lot of people interested and on board. And I mean, I would say, look at Sephora insiders as an example, like you have all those people who are part of that Sephora uh, program, saving a bunch of money every month. They don't pay for that yet, but how much more would right. they pay? Yeah. Maybe it's a missed opportunity for them. So, yeah, I was just going to say, so, so, I mean, I agree with you if the discount on those core products that I'm always buying is going to be greater than like what I could get on a subscribe and save or something. Right. Right. Cause I think it does depend then on that, on that annuity, the annuity product that you keep purchasing over and over again, or it has to be the experimental product, like it allows me to try new things and entices me to try new things consistently. It, it feels to me conceptually like beauty would have some of that, you know, like in, in you know, in its arsenal as a category. Guys, it's funny. You guys are, you guys are changing my mind on this and believe it or not, even though we just had that Shocking. huge blowout argument on Peloton. But at first when I was thinking about the story, I was like, I was kind of trying to coin the phrase that pyramid schemes to, are to generation Z, what insider trading was to Gordon Gecko in wall street, because it, it, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. You're paying me to produce something that I haven't. And I'm just taking the bet or the option that you're going to produce something for me that provides value on the backside of that. And you got to get more and more people into it to keep sustaining that type of model as you grow. But well, I think you see, you're showing me that there's a real value here. I'm even going to make a prediction here. Oh, really? I think we just heard Amazon today talking about their uh, foray into beauty now, right. um, the headlines this morning. And I would be willing to bet they're doing like a prime day for beauty coming mm. up. And I would be willing to bet that we start to see some kind of program like this that takes right. it beyond what Kristen's saying, a subscribe and save and takes it into like a beauty insider program for Amazon. I, I, I will be willing to bet we'll see that in the next year. Yeah, David, last words on beauty and uh, and beauty. Well, I, listen, I think the beauty industry is ripe for disruption. You know, between yeah. uh, behavior patterns changing during the pandemic, department stores are failing and used to be a big source of beauty. There's just a lot of, uh, anytime that an industry is under a bunch of turbulence, I think there's an opportunity for business models that are new and innovative to, to really gain a foothold and gain share. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the thing that threw me off on this is, I know that they want to bring it to life by calling it a Costco, but a beauty warehouse just doesn't make sense when the item is so small. It's like, are you going to get a gallon of face cream? It, it just, they need to work on their branding. It, 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 it doesn't bring to life, uh, at least what they're thinking from a physical perspective, very well. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That could create some interesting connotations. But your, your point's right, though. Like, it's the reimagination of beauty, right? I think that, and that's what captivated, when you sent me this article last mm-hmm. week and I read it, I think both of us were like, who there's something really different here. Right. And I think that last point, Dave, you said just brings that home too, that this is a space that's just really ripe to still be disrupted in a new way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys, that wraps us up for the headlines. Are you ready to go into our lightning round? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't have a choice, Kristen, because I'm coming at you first. All right. Kristen, Hy-Vee launched a new 93,000 square foot concept store in Grimes, Iowa last week, seemingly taking every store that was once in a strip center and putting it inside the Hy-Vee box. If you were consulting the Hy-Vee team, right, consulting with the Hy-Vee team right now, what would be the next thing you tell them to jam inside that Hy-Vee box? Well, I have a question. Isn't that just basically a mall? Pretty much. It's sounding like it. Yeah. Based on what's in there. It's got a Wahlburgers, Kristen. Yeah. Food hall, Johnson sports equipment, which was purchased by second wind. We were corrected by a a A loyal listener. Thank you for that information. So, you know what I would put in a dry cleaner. That's what I was thinking. Just go the whole nine yards, you know, just put the dry cleaner right in the damn center. I drop my stuff off. I can get everything else. I can pick it up the next week when I go back, whatever it is. Love it. That's what I would put in there. All right. Well, Dave, everyone's favorite bank to say, Deutsche Bank, is saying that by their calculations, Walmart Plus now has over 32 million members. Are you buying that estimate or is it what I would call a load of shisa? So first I'd say 32 million is what, one-tenth of the U.S. population roughly? Yep. Yep. Including children, that. including yeah, children in that number. To do the math here, that feels like a very aggressive estimate. Uh, I you know, it feels like maybe a, a sampling approach gone bad or something. I would certainly not. Uh, I would want to test that. Feels a little high to me, too. I think if Walmart had that many subscribers, they'd be actively talking about it. Yeah. Results not known. The eight ball is telling us that's uh, inconclusive. All right, Chris, uh, I know you love making Blue Apron meals. It sounds like Kristen does, too. It do- yeah. Uh, I know. The company announced last week they're getting into the prepared meal space. What, Chris Walton, would Blue Apron want you to make as their best seller for prepared foods? Oh, easy. White bean quesadilla. Kristen, what's yours? Ooh, the white bean quesadilla. My kids love the um, like the crispy chicken meals. Oh, the crispy chicken meals. Yeah, yeah. yeah those are good. Those are good, too. All right. And closing it up. You argued passionately. Oh, yes. Weeks back, years back, actually. And still do to this day against Panera's coffee subscription program. Accurate. But where do you come out on Taco Bell's new 30 days of tacos for $5? As much as I fear for all of the people who will be consuming all of those tacos, I am actually a fan. I am pro Taco Bell subscription program because... I I know that of any of the QSR restaurants, they're definitely going to be open 24-7 to redeem your free tacos, unlike Panera and the subscription program. All right. You're getting us on a technicality. Are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'd be down with this if it was if it was Chalupas. Just because I like to say the maybe word chalupa. A, maybe there's a version on a national maybe there's podcast. A How do you know chalupas aren't included? It's just tacos from what I could read. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, because they're like 39 cents, like for five bucks. But anyway, I guess so are chalupas. Dave and Kristen, if people liked all the insight that you gave us in every single story today on the Fast Five when we put you on the spot, where is the best place for them to get in touch with you? Please uh, reach out to me at LinkedIn, Kristen Kohler Burroughs, or you can email me at kburrows at alvarezandmarcel.com. I am on LinkedIn as well, David Ritter and dritter at alvarezandmarcel.com. Happy birthday to the always lovely Alexis Blydell, the never lovely Mickey Rourke, and everyone's favorite Jonas brother, Nick Jonas, or as I like to call him back in the day, or I like to call him back in the day, the bonus Jonas. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news, And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day 
and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And it's all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com.